Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? All right. You know, I, I will say I feel a bit deceived by some Washington people. I was told when I moved up here that it was going to be cloudy and rainy forever, all day, every day. And we've experienced an abundance of sunshine. In fact, I was uh, talking to someone yesterday who said that they had come to Washington a couple weeks ago and they could not believe how sunny and hot it was. And I was like, apparently me neither. I don't get it. But, but um, I love the sun and I'm loving being here. Um, thank you for joining us online today. And uh, yeah, just glad to be here. Loving um, this, this new place that we get to call home. We drove a lot this weekend through Washington and across over to visit my sister who actually lives in Montana. And what's funny is um, I told someone that we went, drove over to see her, and they said, that's a quick drive? And I said, well, it was 28 hours where I used to live, and now it's eight. So yes, that was a quick drive. But I got to explore our state and see some beautiful mountains and scenery, and, and I love it here, and I love that I get to spend Sundays with you guys. So as we, uh, as we dive in, uh, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to continue talking about growth. And uh, I, I've been really, really getting my behind kicked, I feel like, as I, as I read in and dive into this, this study on growth. And God's been sharing and revealing a lot of stuff to me about me through this. And um, I know that as I was putting this message together, I was talking with the team, you know, the team that gets uh, the, the slides and the worship and everything ready to go. And this morning they were like, I feel like the notes you gave us earlier this week have not matched what you've given us this morning. And I was like, well, that's because things changed. And uh, as, as I was putting this together, uh, I really feel like God was, was shaping it to be something else. So, so I'm, I'm really excited for today, um, especially for what it means to me and I think how it can relate to all of us. So we've been talking, like I said, all about growth. And there's a, a saying that we'll throw up on there that I've been saying every week. And growth is good. And the saying says this, healthy things grow. Growing things change. <clears throat> change challenges us. Challenge forces us to trust God. Oh, sorry, change is difficult. Difficulties cause us to trust God. Trusting God calls us to obedience. Obeying God makes us healthy, and healthy things grow. So we see this great cycle of growth and how when you're healthy, you'll be growing, and not just physically, but, uh, but spiritually as well. And we talked how God loves you the way that you are. That was a big point we talked about last week. God loves you the way you are, but that doesn't mean he wants you to stay that way. Now, imagine this. So we, we, have, we have a baby, right? God loves this baby. Can you imagine if you stayed the way you were, though? It, it may look a little weird, like, like this. Like, <laughs> oh, nobody needed to see Jeff's face on that baby this morning. But, but man, that, that, that's either going to be something you laugh at or it's going to haunt your dreams later. But, but you know, God, God doesn't want us to stay the way we are. God wants us to grow in a healthy way. <laughs> okay, you can, you can get rid of that now. I'm, I'm not going to be able to focus if I keep looking at that. <laughs> but when we talk about growing, we talk about how we talked a couple weeks ago about trying versus training, right? We can try, and trying is good. There's nothing wrong with trying, but it's not about trying. It's about training yourselves to do something. If I were to go and try and run a marathon tomorrow, I would probably not be able to make it. Like, you know, you, you go out there, I'd be like, okay, here we go. Somewhere along mile four or five, or if I'm really honest, um, mile one, right? I'd probably collapse because I haven't trained myself to do this. But I could go out and try my hardest to go. But if I wasn't training, it would be really, really hard. Training is important. But if I worked out over the next several months and built up my endurance and tried and built up my cardio and went at it, I could make a dent in the distance that I could go, Right? It's the difference between trying to do something and training yourself to do something. 
The same thing is true spiritually. If we want to try to grow spiritually, I think trying is one thing, but really training ourselves and equipping ourselves, giving ourselves the right tools and disciplines to move forward in a healthy way is going to go a lot further than just trying. We've got to train ourselves to do it. We spoke about a couple disciplines last week, how studying God's word and praying were essential. Studying God's word and reading the Bible is one of our main ways of hearing God speak to us, and then praying is our big way of communicating back to God. We talked about some spiritual applications, um, ways that we can overcome having spiritual ADD, journaling and structured prayer. And we talked about the SOAP journaling method, and, and uh, I hope some of you guys tried it down and focusing with God. But I think this, an important point, we said this last week, an important part of spending time in the Bible isn't going through Scripture, but making sure we're letting Scripture go through you. That was a big part of it. Really let Scripture work in your heart. Really let Scripture go through your life and see how God is going to speak to you and through you through what you read. Now, I love a good challenge. That's part of being, um, I said, an Enneagram 7. If someone gives me a dare or a challenge, I'm like, I have to con- you know, someone has to convince me not to do it. Uh, my wife will convince me not to do things. She says, you're not 20 years old anymore. You've got to stop. You can't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. To which I say, no, I'm not, and I hurt myself. <laughs> I don't learn. The cycle continues every single time, Right? But I love a good challenge. And last week, I I gave everyone a challenge. I said, hey, I challenge you guys to try this journaling method. Try this soap thing. And and I imagine some people maybe did. You know, maybe you went to to Fred Meyer or Target or Walmart or Amazon and said, all right, I got a Bible now. I've got my notebook. I've I've got this method. I'm going to go for it. And, and day one was good. Maybe you set your alarm clock for 15 minutes earlier in the day. Like, all right, we're going we're gonna to go for it. And day one, you did it. But then day two, like your favorite episode of whatever you're watching on TV was on, and you were up late, and then that 15 minutes turned into hitting snooze a couple times, and then it, you know, then it was a five minute, and then we won't even can talk about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I right? just turned into you know what, time just got away from me. I got really, really busy because the world is busy. Can anybody relate to that? Just you, you like I said, you have the best intentions, you're ready to go, but you get busy. Something else happens, and, and time shifts around, right? Whether, um, and I know that people here, we all have incredibly insane schedules. I, when I talk to people all the time, I hear about insane schedules. The, the work life, the home life, the, the projects, the chores, just life is busy. Some people I know are working 60 plus hour work weeks. And then when you get home, it's not like, hey, I'm home, I'm done for the day, right? There's stuff. There's stuff that happens at home. There's, there's family responsibilities. Not saying those are bad at all, but there's, there's things you have to do. And when it turns into, I want some me time, you're really fighting to find any time that could be me time. And that's a lot of the world that we live in now. Life doesn't stop just because you're not in your work office anymore. Life is crazy, and I get it. Now, there's, there's a word, a word I want to talk about, because the question is, why do we often struggle so much then with making God time a priority time? Why do, why do we struggle so much with making God a priority? It's not a lack of intent, but it's the B word, not the crazy B word. Don't go there. Busy. Busy, busy, busy. Everybody is busy. I have never met anyone, honestly, that I've said this. How are you? And they're like, well, for starters, I've got nothing going on in life. I've got nothing. Today, tomorrow, the rest of the week, nothing. Some of the busiest people I come across are retired people, which blows my mind. You literally don't have work anymore, but schedules fill, and you get busy. We live in a country, in a world, where busy is the standard. <clears throat> I took a test, and I found this, and I wanted to share questions with you. It might be a little challenging or convicting, but there are seven questions 
that this goes. And you don't have to write these down, but just, just think to yourself. You don't have to stand up and shout or raise your hand, but just reflect on these questions. Questions about busyness. Are you haunted by a fear that there are not enough hours in the day to do what needs to be done? Number two, do you find yourself nodding faster when listening to someone else to encourage the talker to accelerate? Right? You don't have time for that conversation. I actually deal with the opposite. People tell me to slow down. <clears throat> Number three, when approaching a stoplight and there are two lanes, do you find yourself guessing which lane is going to go the fastest? Yeah, everyone knows that one. This next one is long, but it's, it's funny because I do number four all the time. At the grocery store, if you have a choice between two checkout lanes, do you find yourself counting each person in line, assessing how many items are in the cart? Then you watch each line, even after you chose, <laughs> just to see if you picked the right line. <clears throat> I never do. Or do you do this again in traffic while driving? Do you check work emails and phone messages when you're at home? Has anyone ever said to you, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? If tomorrow evening were unexpectedly freed up, would you use it to do work or a household chore? Deep questions, right? And lots of laughter because usually when people laugh at these, they're like, oh, that's me. Yep, right there. That was totally me. But if you answered yes to any of these, then, then today is for you because we're going to talk about being busy and how busy is crazy. And I know some of you might be thinking this even right now. Yes, yes, I know, I'm too busy, and I know you're just gonna say some things to make me feel bad about being busy, and you're just gonna convict me right now and say I need to not be busy, I need to follow God. Yes, Dustin, I get it. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna make you feel bad about being busy for a couple reasons. One, I know that I am busy. I know I am very busy, but above that, take a deep breath, Here's one of the main reasons I'm not going to make you feel bad about being busy. Jesus was busy. Jesus was incredibly busy. You read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you see the insane schedule that Jesus had and the things he did in a short time. He was busy. In fact, today, we're going to unpack a 24-hour day in the life of Jesus that I think would put a lot of our busiest days to shame when we see what he did and what he went through, but also how he grew and recharged through it. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus, there's no denying that he was a guy that got stuff done. He was on a mission, and he did it. Over the course of three years, he started a movement that would last for over 2,000 years, grow to over billions of people, and also pay for all the sins of mankind in the process. It was a busy schedule, big shoes to follow, but I think it goes to show that being busy is not bad. It's about managing the busy that really is the priority. I'm also confident that Jesus would have said no to a lot of those questions. He said, no, I have enough time. No, I don't ask people to slow down. No, I wouldn't count the lanes. He was able to recharge and get things done and not focus on being tired from busyness, but recharging through his business, which was an incredible thing that we'll see. So we're going to look at one of Jesus' first days in public ministry, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Now it starts by saying this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he had taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. 
The impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked one another, "What is this? A new teaching, and with all with authority." He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. We'll pause there for a minute. This is just the first part of Jesus' day. But I love it says here in the beginning, when we see that he went to work, it says he went to work on the Sabbath. Now, in, in Bible times, that was a major no-no. The Sabbath was the day of no work. The Sabbath was the day of rest. But Jesus opens his day, begins to work on the Sabbath. He gets up to speak, and people are amazed at how good of a teacher he is. As he's speaking, people are just drawn to what he's saying, and they're captivated by him. But then right there in the middle, Jesus has got some momentum going, right? He's feeling good. People are listening. People are engaged. And it says, a man in their synagogue started speaking out. So when I read this, I start understanding this was a normal guy in their community. This was, this was a guy who was there. And people could have just been thinking, as we may know sometimes, people go, oh, that's just crazy Joe. It's just, he's spouting off again. No big deal. This is, he's got a demon in him. We just kind of let him do his thing. But Jesus addresses this. In the middle of what he's doing, he focuses in on what's going on. Now, Jesus says, be quiet. Come out of him. And the guy starts shaking and convulsing. And this even amazes the people now. If Jesus didn't have the people's attention at this point, he, now he's got it. And they are, they are zoned in and focused on not only is he preaching good, but this demon just listened to him. This is a man worth listening to. This is a very extreme moment, I think, in the story of Jesus where people start really, they see for the first time the power that he's coming down with. But also, I think it gives it a great example for us as well. Jesus was in the middle of a task. Jesus was being busy. He was working, and he got interrupted. He got interrupted. Have you ever been interrupted when you were on task, on point, even a point where you were feeling good? Like you can imagine Jesus as he's talking, the people are engaged, and, and I know because I get to, to talk, you know, I, I, can, I like it when people are engaged and feeling good, and then if there's an outburst, I know it can totally throw me off. So if, have you ever been in the middle of a task and someone does something and it just has the ability potentially to throw you off? If you've ever been interrupted in the middle of something, Jesus can relate. Jesus can 100% relate. Now, I'm not saying that you'll ever be talking and a demon-possessed person will start yelling at you. Chances are very slim that that will happen. But in a task, if something interrupts you, Jesus can relate because he had been interrupted. <clears throat> but Jesus handles it in a way, again, that shows who he is, the authority that he has from God in a way that draw more people to what he's saying. And this is just the first part of his day. Sounds like a pretty eventful day, but this wasn't, the, I mean, this is just the beginning. This wasn't a, okay, go home, let's have brunch, and the rest of the day is chill. Jesus goes out and does a lot more in this same day. Continuing in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 29 to 31, it says this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her in hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So they go to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she has a fever. Jesus walks in, grabs her by the hand, and he heals her. And this, this is awesome. Now, some scholars actually wonder if Peter later in his life denied Jesus because he helped his in-laws. You know, and some people know the in-laws, it can be kind of sketchy, right? Now, I don't think that's what happened. But, but P Jesus comes in, and he immediately jumps into, I'm done with work, we're going to someone's house, and there's more work to be done. He comes in and immediately starts to help. Now, sometimes we can be busy with family responsibilities. Lots of us, we all have family. Family comes to town. We have kids. We have spouses. We just have family things to do. Jesus comes in, and he helps out Simon Peter here. 
If you ever had to stop your personal agenda in that moment, maybe when you were going to go somewhere and relax, but someone said, my family needs you, I need you, guess what? Even if it seems inconvenient for you, Jesus can relate. Jesus can totally relate. Reading on through more of that day, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 32 now. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So we see Jesus now. He's done the preaching thing. He's gone home and helped family, and now people are continuing to come to him. This is the day that won't stop. The day that won't stop, he's, he keeps working. And the passage says that evening after sunset, this is all in, in one day. The whole town comes. Now, I know that from a lot of people, I, I saw it from my dad, you know, growing up when he worked. I know sometimes when I get home from work, just when you get home from work, a big thing people want to do is kind of disconnect, right? It's like, and we're done. I had a, I had a day at the office. I had my day on, on the field. Whatever it is you're doing, it is, it, it's time to, to stop. Time to have family time. Time to relax, time, time to watch the game, time to eat dinner, time, time to play games. It's just time to enjoy the rest of the evening. But Jesus doesn't get this on this day. He went home and work kept calling. Who can relate? <laughs> you go home and work keeps on calling. For some of us, this is just a reality thing too, right? News spread fast with Jesus and what he was doing. The Bible says that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. So I know that Jesus' body experienced the weariness that our bodies feel when you're tired. Jesus slept. Jesus took naps. Jesus had to recharge. So I can imagine what he's gone through throughout the day. It, it at some point, just feeling physically weary. Scripture says in many places that Jesus grew weary. I can't help but think in this day that this is going to be one of those days a day where the, the people are just coming and they're coming and they're coming and life does not stop or slow down. I mean, Jesus would work so hard at times that he had the ability to take a nap on a boat that was in a raging storm. The man would get tired. He had to recharge. But looking at everything he was doing, I had to imagine at this point, man, I know I would be physically and emotionally drained come that night when people are still coming. But Jesus still goes. We don't know how late he stayed out, we don't know how late he was up with these people, but I can imagine it was late into the night, especially if it says the whole town was coming. This wasn't just a handful of people knocking on the door. The town was there. But something I love about this passage, it shows what the heart of Jesus is in the midst of the busyness. It says Jesus was busy with everybody else's needs. Jesus was busy with everybody else's needs. I love that. Have you ever felt like you're just helping one person after another? You know, maybe, maybe you're the person where you are the jack of all trades, so you're the go-to person for people. You need something done. They, they call you. You're, you're the car guy, so people know that if, if something's wrong with your car, they're going to call you because you can help with the car. You're the construction guy. Something needs fixing. They can call you. <clears throat> Jesus was busy with everybody else's needs. If you feel this way, if you're a parent, you're constantly consumed with everybody else's needs, right? That's, that's your job. That is in the role of being a parent. You must be consumed with other people's needs. If you feel this way, Jesus can relate with you. He was consumed and he was busy with everybody else's needs, but that's not a bad thing. For me, this is incredibly affirming in my life. I know when I read this passage, when I see how busy Jesus was, I know that for me, I know that when, when I go through my day, when I have these days where maybe people are coming, at, coming to me or the, the world is coming at me or whatever's happening in my life that is just draining and beating and just I am down and out, I know that Jesus, in the midst of his busy schedule, he's only got seven billion people to talk to, Right? I know that I can go to him, and he doesn't put me on the back burner. He doesn't say, I've got to handle this other need first. He says, I'm here for your needs. 
I want to be with you. I want to be consumed with your need for me. When we take time to grow, we can take time to put aside any thought that it's ever too late. We're ever too busy. We're ever, there's never enough time. You can put away all those thoughts because with Jesus, there is always time. Your life is his time. Your life and salvation is his priority. When we take time to grow, he has the time for you no matter what. And that's just one day. But that's not even a full 24 hours yet. We're going to get into what happens right away here. <clears throat> Check out this next verse. Mark 1.35 says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, we've read that verse a few times in this passage, or this series, because I think it's so integral to seeing how we can grow. And I love this. Jesus got up while it was still dark. I wonder when I read this, how many hours of sleep did Jesus actually even get in that moment? Like seriously, he had gotten up, gone to the synagogue and teached. He had gone and, and held, uh, healed Simon Peter's mom. The town came to him. He's up all night helping the town. And then he gets up while it's still dark to go away to pray. I can only imagine the, the handful of hours that, that Jesus actually got to just tap out and say, my head's hitting the pillow. I'm going to go sleep now. I mean, he got up. I can imagine the other disciples probably in the middle of their REM cycle still, right? They're still trying to nod off and go to sleep. But he gets up, and he goes to a solitary place with no distractions where he gets to concentrate. I love this. Jesus knew that his strength and his growth required time with his father. He knew that his strength and his growth, it required time with his father. And that's something we can't lack in our lives either. I love that he was in constant communication with his father. For Jesus, this was not just helpful for him. I believe when we look at the life Jesus led, how busy he was, this was imperative for him. He knew he could not go through the next day until he spent time with his father, when he got recharged, when he got his marching orders. Man, in the midst of, I am serving everyone and doing this all day, I know that when we have days like that, our strength fades. Just like Jesus had a fully human body along with being fully God, his strength had to go where he needed rest. In our lives, when we go through these seasons in life where we have our strength fading, man, we have to recharge. We have to sleep. But I love that Jesus, he only gets a few hours of sleep, but because he only gets a few hours, what's the very first thing he does to recharge? He goes and talks to his dad. He goes to the father and says, I need strength. I need, I need this I, what I need for the next day is only going to come from you. And he goes and he gets it. Our bodies need to recharge. And we have seasons in life where it just kicks us in the behind. But reading the Bible, prayer, these are important things. Spending time with God is big. And you know what studies show, which is it's actually a sad fact. This isn't about any one person. This is just a study in general. When life gets busy, especially amongst Christ followers, you know what the first things nixed out of a schedule are? Reading the Bible prayer and going to church. That, that's a universal thing across the board. That's one of the things that, that people say, you know what, I just need more time. I'm going to sleep in instead of reading. You know what, this week was hard. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home. I'm not going to tune in. I'm just going to stay out of church on Sunday. I don't need to talk to people right now. I need to recharge. But I think it's so crazy that the very thing that we are so quick to say, this is the first thing out, is the first thing Jesus says, this is what you need. This is what you have to go do to recharge. And when we see him in his most tired moments, that's what he goes to do. He says, I need strength, I need, I need energy, I need physical sustenance, I'm going to get it from my father. And it's a great example that he lives for us, that he leads for us in this way. And I love that after he recharges, he jumps back in. Mark 1, 36 to 37 says this, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. 
Mr. Popular, right? Everyone is still looking for you. He had his time to sleep. He had his time with God, and now it's right back into it. Everyone's looking for him. And you, you, people wonder, how did the disciples know that everyone was looking for Jesus? I imagine that when they woke up, they were so feeling good, so juiced about what had just happened. They had just seen people healed. They had seen demons cast out. Jesus was preaching in a synagogue. People were loving what's going on. I imagine that when they woke up and didn't see Jesus, they may have gone down into town saying, I bet you he's already back down in there. I bet you he went right back into town to keep working because I bet they were feeling good about what they had seen, what they had got to experience with him. But what they found was something totally different. They didn't see Jesus wake up and say, all right, let's get back in it. They found Jesus recharging with the Father, giving them an example that they hadn't even maybe done yet that morning. Jesus didn't go where Peter and the other disciples may have gone. He doesn't go to even where I think he would have gone. Because I know if, if that was me, my personality is kind of the same thing. If I'm, if I'm doing something and things are going great, I want to keep going for it. Even the next day, let's do it again. That was really, really fun. But Jesus went to recharge. He didn't go where even I thought he would have gone. He didn't jump back into work first. He went to recharge first. This is so huge. He didn't do it after the fact. He did it before the fact. What did he do before he got on for his day? He went to recharge. Mark 1, continuing on, 38 and 39 says this. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So that he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now again, you have to, I had to fully expect, I know I would, fully expect them to say, things are going good here, let's keep going. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you know what? We have different plans. We are now going to shift and go somewhere else. But it's, it's crazy or interesting when you think about it. Why didn't the disciples know this? Why didn't they say, all right, Jesus, it's time to move on? I think because Jesus was the one who got his orders from God that morning. They woke up and went looking for him to find out where he was. Jesus woke up and said, before I go anywhere, I'm going to get by myself and I'm going to get my orders. And that was something that they did not expect. You see, I think the disciples, like I would have thought too, is it was a good idea to keep going. Totally was a good idea to keep going. The city loves you right now, right? Things are great. Let's, this, is a, this is a revival. Let's go. That's a good idea, but that wasn't God's idea. There's a huge difference between a good idea and a God idea. You see, going back into Capernaum was a good idea, but that one wasn't God's. Jesus was the one capable of knowing the difference because he was the one that made the priority of spending time with God that morning. So he knew where God's ideas were coming. The difference for Jesus amidst his busy schedule. For us, I think we can differentiate between a good idea and a God idea. A good idea. Power through, get rest, work hard. Those, those are good ideas. I don't think, you know, when, if you do those things, that's not bad. Power through, get rest, work hard. But the God idea is recharge through Jesus first, then do the above. Recharge through Jesus first, then do the above. And watch how God can refuel, rejuvenate, and revitalize you, and maybe even change your plans in that moment to something that you didn't think you were going to do, but you then get to do what God called you to do in the first place. So if you just spend time with God each day, is, is that it? Let's say kind of, but, but it's more than just spending time with God. I think if you let God's word start speaking to you daily, actually slowing down and spending that quiet time with God, then God starts changing you from the inside out. It doesn't turn into a task thing. It turns into a life thing. And it turns into a source of energy and revitalization in your soul thing. You start applying what you read. You start seeing how God changes you to be more and more like him throughout the process. Now, I remember for me, um, I got to experience this, this energy that only can come from God. It was the, the summer of, of 2019, I believe it was. 
Um, when I was working at Creekside, I was working as a children's pastor, the youth pastor, and the associate pastor. And I'd been doing that for a couple years, and things, things are busy but good. And I remember um, Pastor Terry asking me if I would do a five-week series over the summer. And so I immediately said, yes. My wife immediately said, you said what? You're doing, you're doing that on top of youth? And so we started breaking down what my schedule was going to look like for the summer. And I didn't regret the decision to say yes, but it definitely made me go, oh boy, <laughs> when I looked at what it was going to happen. Because on top of now preaching, which is, was, wasn't something I got to do every week for the adults, I was going to do a five-week series. And then it was also on top of directing the Northern California Kids Camp, on top of leading a team to Mexico and preaching in a Mexican church a couple times on that trip. And then... Uh, those Sundays that I would be preaching would be, we get back from camp on Saturday, preaching on Sunday. Go to Mexico, get back on Saturday, preach on Sunday. It was, it was a very intense schedule. And um, my, my wife lovingly, lovingly told me what I had just committed to. And so I committed to it, and I wasn't going to back down. So I said, all right, we're, we're going to do it, and I'm going to go for it. And I can honestly say that was one of the most intense summers of my life. Oh, and on top of that, we were doing summer sports camps for kids in between each thing. So we had different community kids coming in doing soccer and, and baseball and flag football, and it was amazing to see God moving in all these things. But at the same time, it was busy. I remember being incredibly busy the whole time and thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this? And th those thoughts started when I started doing this, like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, how I'm physically going to be able to get through all of this in just five weeks, get all this stuff done. So we had at it, and I started working, and I committed at the beginning of that. I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that I do not sacrifice any of my quiet time with God in the mornings. That will not be something that no matter how late I'm up doing this event or at camp doing this or getting ready for the message on Sunday or in Mexico on the bus, whatever we're driving, I will not sacrifice the time I have with God. And the most amazing thing happened that summer. I had more energy in my life than I had ever had. It was the craziest thing. People would ask, they would say, Dustin, how are you even able to get up and preach right now? You rolled in from Mexico so late and then you had to preach this morning. And I said, one, Red Bull's a great thing. And two... And I'm just kidding, I don't even like Red Bull, I like Monster. But all that to say, I was so energized. And I know that it wasn't because of me. It definitely was not because of me because there's no way my body should have been able to, su to sustain the little sleep I was getting with everything we were going through. But I know God was just breathing life into me as I was going. And then when it was all said and done, I had the longest nap of my life and it was wonderful. But in the midst of everything I needed to get done, I loved that God gave me all the energy I needed because I was making sure I was focused in on him through everything. He showed up in the most incredible way. God was molding me to be a better person, a better servant, a better father, a better husband, a better follower of him. I knew that when I made time to listen to him, he made time to make sure he was growing in me. Last week, the big challenge was talking about having a regular quiet time with God. And, and today, I want to talk, uh, as we close up, three things that I think Jesus did in, his pas in this passage that really enables us to be personally directed in hearing God's voice. Now, these things come from Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, and a book called Out of Solitude, which I've shared a, a few times in a few weeks, by Henry Nguyen, which is just kicking me in the behind because I don't like being alone. But the first is this, just get it out there, the discipline of solitude. The discipline of solitude is a crazy huge thing. We see it when we just read it in Mark 1.36. In very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus lived in an inward heart solitude. Normally, we don't. 
One of mankind's greatest fears is loneliness. People will say they don't want to die alone. They don't want to be alone. I know for me, if I'm in my house by myself for an hour, I'm starting to freak out. I don't like being alone. But people, deeper than that, people don't like the feeling of being lonely. And we have a constant stream of, of things in society today that keep, can keep us from feeling lonely, right? We have our smartphones. We have social media. We can, with the click, see what our friends are eating, where they're at, who they're with. We can, there's, a lots of things, there's a lot of things we can do in our lives to make ourselves feel connected with the click of a button with so many people. It's nearly impossible to find silence. But I think God calls us out of loneliness and into solitude. And those are two separate things. Loneliness or cloud, these are not our only options in life. When we cultivate an inner solitude and silence, it sets us free from loneliness and fear. You see, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. Loneliness is inner, inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. For us, we've got to understand the, the connection between inner solitude and inner silence, right? I think these two can be inseparable. God grows in us the ability to really listen and really train when we are not surrounded by the noise. When we're able to say, I'm going to disconnect and I'm just going to be quiet and I'm just going to sit still and listen, that's when we can really practice and train ourselves to hear what God is speaking into our hearts. We learned last week uh, through an encounter with Elijah. Now, Elijah, this is the guy who just took on the prophets of Baal and he was in thunder and fire from heaven, burning altars. This was, he's like, this is God speaking. That same man, God had to say, go inside the cave. There's fires and earthquake, there's wind. I'm not in those right now. I want you to be quiet. That's where I am. The same God who does the booming miracles is the same God who says, just sit down for a second. Just be quiet. Just listen and listen to what I have to say. I am the still, small voice. And some of you may be thinking, that sounds nice, but you don't know my life. My life is crazy busy. It's loud. If it's not my cell phone ringing or buzzy, it's, it's my kids screaming down the hallways or my boss consistently giving me more tasks. I don't have time to practice solitude. I genuinely, I don't have time. I would say if you don't have time, practice the little solitudes that you may not even know are in your day, but they're there. That time where you're just taking a few minutes to say, Hi, I want to I cruise to social media for a few minutes, take just a few moments of solitude. Just a few moments and say, all right, here I am, God. I'm going to listen. Maybe you're in line to get your Starbucks because you cannot sustain life <laughs> without your, your Starbucks or your, or your Anthem, whatever coffee is. In that moment where you're just waiting in line, say, I'm going to take a moment right now. I'm just going to listen to God. I'm not going not to cruise through. I'm not going to people watch the cars next to me. I'm just going to take a minute. I'm just going to listen. Maybe it's on your drive to work when you're in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. You say, you know what, God, this is the moment right now where I'm just going to give to you. Start there. If you genuinely don't have time anywhere else, find the little moments and don't fill them with something. Fill them with him instead and see how he responds. See how he answers you. <clears throat> the second thing we learn from Jesus in this passage is the discipline of submission. Mark 1.38 says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I love that Jesus says this out loud. So he, he audibly hears himself say it. The disciples hear him say it. And I, I think, like I said earlier, the night before, I can imagine Jesus being excited even to keep doing what's going on. But then God says, but I want, I want to do this. I want you now. You did this here. Now it's time to go over there. And we see this come down um, in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. God has the ability for us to, to take, when he takes over our lives, God has the ability for us to not focus so much on ourselves, but when we let him morph us, we start focusing on him 
and seeing what his will is for us. We can have people, this is just people in general, can let the smallest thing become the most obsessive thing, can't we? We can let something so small today, we can spend weeks, months, or years stewing on something that didn't go our way, but we really, really wanted it. And we think it was something so huge. And when you look at the grand scheme of life, that was just one little thing. But we allowed it to dictate every bit of our, the fiber of our being, every, our thoughts and our actions. But that's our plan. That's maybe what we wanted. God has the ability, when we submit to him, that we have the ability to say, that little thing is nothing in the grand scheme of God. That little thing is nothing compared to what he has. And we could submit to what he wants for us as well. I think God wants us to grow in the realization that most issues in life, most issues, not all, most issues are not major issues. We can hold on to things so tightly because we aren't able to submit to God's will. We want it for us instead. The thing is when we do that, we see the devastating effects. We see marriages break. We see churches split. We see people say this is such a big deal that it fractures and ruins relationships and friendships. Dreams and hopes become so important that we lose the focus of God's dreams and God's hope for us. Jesus was the ultimate example of living a life full of submission. I love it. He submitted to God in everything he did. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says Jesus was there. He was praying. He said, God, if there is any other way, he's getting ready to be crucified. He knows what's coming. He says, God, if there's any other way, please take this off my shoulders. Take this, take this cup from me. But I love how he finishes this prayer. He says, but your will be done. And he is totally submitted to what the Father's plans are. There's a, a really simple way to practice a discipline of submission. And it's with um, some lines in a prayer. And I want to lay these out for you guys today. So if you have a hard time submitting, a hard time saying, you know what, I'm not in control. Um, a hard time saying, God, I want you to do this. Practice saying things like this when you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today. Say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my family today. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my job today. Your kingdom come, your will be done with my words today. Your kingdom come, your will be done with my thoughts today. Practice saying those things. Let, let that phrase, your kingdom come, be something that encompasses all avenues of your life to where you say, I really am living my life for God first and not me. It's always putting him first. And then after you submit your parts of your day to God, we get to move on to the last one where it says, we learn that Jesus showed the discipline of service. The discipline of service. Mark one thirty nine. it says, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. See, Jesus didn't finish his quiet time and check a box saying, yep, did it, check, going on the rest of my day. He did his quiet time, and then he went on with a mission. He didn't just look for opportunities to come to him. He went to where God told him to go. He went to serve others as God directed him to. And I think there's, there's two different kinds of people that you can run into in life. You can run into the here I am people, and you can run into the there you are people. See, Jesus lived a life serving other people. The the, the here I am person can walk into a room and say, let the party start, here I am. I made it, and maybe you'll tell a story, and the here I am person will say, yep, and this is what happened in my life and why it's bigger and better than the story you just told. You know, they kind of shift it and make it all about themselves. I struggle with being a here I am person, full disclosure. I love a good party, love people, love to talk, love to tell stories and how I've done similar things. It's, it's a struggle for me, seriously. But there, there are here I am people that really like to take the focus on, on them. But then there's the there you are people. The there you are person walks into a room and they see someone who is on the fringes, maybe someone who looks disconnected or someone who is struggling, and they have the ability to make that person feel really good. 
the ability to lift that person up, the ability to serve and step out and really help that person, to intentionally lift someone's spirits, to ask good questions, to be a good listener, to say, hey, I'm here, how can I help you? A there-you-are person. And Jesus modeled this so good, being a there-you-are person. And some of you may think, and some of us may think, this doesn't sound so much as a discipline as it is just something a good Christian should do, right? If you're a good Christ follower, go be a there-you-are person. But it doesn't come natural for people. It's it's, It's really, really easy to naturally think about what you can do for yourself. That's the easy thing. How do I do this for me? How do I get better at this? It's, it takes a total shift to say, put myself aside, how can I serve you? But Jesus gives us an incredible example about that. And he actually talks about in Scripture how when we fill ourselves up with God, he gives us enough to go be there you are people to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this. Praise be to the God and, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And Jesus had just been filled up by the Father, and because he had been filled up, he was ready to go fill others. He was ready to march out and do it. Like I said, this may sound good, but it's not natural. But when we allow God to fill us up, we then get to experience his life and his energy and his just source of power that we then get to say, hey, guys, I get his love that we get to share with so many other people. And it's, an, it's a crazy thing. John Maxwell, um, a very uh, well-known leader and author, he calls this something he does, the 30-second rule. He's disciplined himself to build up every person he's going to spend at least 30 seconds with. He will spend at least 30 seconds building that person up before he does anything else. He wants people to know that he values them and the fact that they're even interacting with him in that moment. Can you imagine if we did that, if we, if we made that a priority for people we came across with in life? Before anything else, we meet someone, we're going to spend 30 seconds affirming somebody, building them up, speaking life into them, being a there-you-are person to, that, to whoever it is you're talking to. I mean, can you imagine how magnetic that would be? How people would be drawn to you knowing, man, I want to talk to that person because they just build me up. They speak life. And then ultimately we get to tell them when they say, man, why do you do this for so many people? We say, because Jesus did it for me. And it always points back to him. It's not for our own building. It's not for our own glorification. We always get to point it back to him and how he is working through us. Solitude, submission, and serving. I'd like to uh, call the worship team back up as we get ready to close out this morning. How can you incorporate these three, or maybe even just one of these things in, starting today or even, even tomorrow, but, but don't let time go by. How can we incorporate these into our lives? Solitude, submission, and serving. Now, I shared that, that I, I love challenges, and uh, I, I love to get people together with me and, and dive in on a challenge. So my challenge for us as a church is to do these things. Let's practice solitude. Tomorrow morning, tonight, find a time where you say, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna step away for a few minutes. I'm just gonna spend some time with God. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to, I'm going to say, tomorrow, God, I give you my day. This is my schedule, God, but, but will you fill it with your schedule first? Let me know what you want to say. God, how can I serve? How can I say, I'm going to go to someone and build them up? I'm going to step in on this team and help build this team up. I'm going to give of myself and serve here because that's the example Jesus gave for us. The scary thing is, if we don't do these things, Science and and medicine shows that there are actually physical consequences to not doing, to not having solitude, not having submission and not serving. 
two-thirds of our medical offices in the United States are visits. You know what they're do? People come and see the doctors for? They're too busy and they're stressed. Stress wreaks havoc on your body. There are hundreds of billions of dollars spent every single year to medicate people that are so driven that they don't have time to just stop and breathe and say, I just need to listen. Don't let your busyness be something that cripples you. Let your busyness be something that fuels you to spend time with God. Fuels you so he can give you the fuel you need to keep going forward. Don't let your busyness or your stress cause a busted relationship. Don't let it cause hurt. Go to God. Let him fill you and let that overflow to other people. Would you stand with me? The last passage I'll read to you this morning. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Man, when we work out our salvation, our walk with God, God works to fulfill all the things that he's doing in your life. Let that be what motivates, let that be what fuels, and let that be what overflows. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are so good. God, I thank you that you are a busy God. But in the midst of your busyness, you never, you never take a break from us. You are always willing, always available to listen, always willing to have us come to you, God. You want to be consumed with our needs, God. And I pray that we are all consumed with you, consumed with your love, and that we make a priority to have that solitude, to have that time where we say, I'm going to, I'm going to just sit down and listen unplugged away and listen for that still small voice that we get our marching orders, we get our energy, God, where we feel like we just don't have anything else to give. We nix that thought and we say, God, we can give you who we are because you give us all of you. God, I pray that we all submit to you, we serve you, and we see just the amazing things that happen because of it. God, we thank you, we love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen.